Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Now, in Genesis 6, it starts describing that humanity gets pretty bad. Now, there's a whole lot of controversy about exactly, well, what in the world does it, what happened for humanity to get even worse than it already was? Because it, it's describing this thing. What in, the, what, in, what in the world is going on with the whole sons of God, daughters of men thing? Well, I don't know. Let's look and see what it says. So, like in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 8, so, you know, okay, so you have the whole genealogy thing, and it, it okay, here it goes from Seth, yada, yada, there's Enoch, da, 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 and then it gets down to Noah. All right, flash, now flashback to why we're at Noah. So in Genesis 6, in verses 1 through 8, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who, who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot man out whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have uh, made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. But, okay, so you read, we're, we're, you read all these things in, in, in the beginning of chapter 6. The things that are not controversial in this passage is that the, the moral decline is just spiraling out of control. The wickedness of man is like at a peak. Every intention of the thought of his heart is just evil continually. And, and so because of this, wickedness god is grieved and he regrets that he made man and i'll talk a little bit more about that what you know what what that means but so he's just going to wipe everything out except one man who found favor in his eyes noah noah would be a new adam noah would be through whom the covenant is renewed god is like starting again uh with, with noah um you know, that you look at just the, the various points of covenant that God makes. Honestly, there's lots of new Adams. God is continue, constantly focusing in making a new man and a new people. I mean, he starts with Adam, then it comes to Noah, but then it goes to Abraham. And then, you know, it keeps kind of narrowing. And then it comes to Jesus Christ. And anyone who in, is in Jesus Christ is is a child of God, is part of God's people. And now so it's kind of expanding again so that whoever believes, it doesn't matter what nation they are, doesn't matter gender, doesn't, doesn't matter race, color, whatever. Anyone can now be a child of God if they come through Jesus Christ. I mean, it's narrow in the sense that it's only through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, I mean, you know, the gate is narrow. The road is difficult. It's very tight there. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And it's needed because mankind is just 
wicked. God's going to start again with a new Adam, right? Jesus is called the last Adam because he's the last one who would, who would bring people to God. So that's the non-controversial part. That's pretty straightforward. What's not as straightforward is this whole thing at the beginning. Who are the sons of God? Who in the world are the daughters of men? What in the world are, are Nephilim and all that other stuff? What, what's going on here? Um, I mean, we, whatever is going on there, we know that somehow it contributed to the wickedness of man. It contributed to moral decline. I mean, it's not like man needed a whole lot more encouragement to sin. Now, whatever in the world happened here, it did just that. It kind of put it over the edge. But what in the world does that all mean? Well, let me share with you three possibilities that the scholars, you know, people who are a whole lot smarter than me, what they think, they, they say there's three possibilities. What I find is even the scholars are just kind of like, well, we'll give you the possibilities but we're not really going to pick a side. We're not going to choose a side, necessarily. So what are some of the possibilities of the meaning of, of there? So the first possibility, which you've probably heard, is that the sons of God are heavenly beings that procreated with human women. And so now what are some of the pros to that approach? Well, one pro is that sons of God elsewhere in Scripture is used to refer to heavenly beings. A second pro is that Jewish literature during the, the Second Temple period, which is the late B.C., early A.D., so Jewish literature of that day seemed to favor that view. Jewish literature seemed to expand on that view. For example, uh, the book of First Enoch, which, by the way, First Enoch is not in the Bible. That means it's not inspired. That means that, you know what, it, it's not probably true, but it's pro someone's interpretation or something. But anyway, the book of First Enoch, in fact, in chapters 6 through 11 of First Enoch, it, it really expands upon this whole thing. Let, let, me, let me just read a, a passage from First Enoch so you understand what I'm saying. This is, Ju this is just Jewish literature, them trying to, you know, describe what they believe. It's not scripture. But this is what's written in, in chapter 6. And it came to pass that when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. By the way, this is written kind of sort of in King James English. But anyway, I'm not sure anyone says beautiful and comely, but daughters. But anyway, so, and the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Simjazah, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are the names of the leaders. It's a whole bunch of names I can't say and, and, and so forth. 
And the, the book of Enoch would go on to say how these heavenly beings taught men warfare and magic and a bunch of other stuff that kind of contributed to the, to the wickedness. But, you know, it's saying that these heavenly beings, in, in the Greek, the word angel is used to describe any sort of heaven, heavenly being. But, you know, in the Hebrew, you got words like seraphim and cherubim and uh, watchers. Daniel uses the word watchers, and there's a whole bunch of different names. So there's it's a lot more complicated than we probably think. But we just kind of use the general word angels for, for anything. But anyway, so, you know, we, it, it's saying that these heavenly beings said, hey, human women are beautiful. Let's, create, let, let, let's go procreate and whatever. Now, another pro might be that 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and Jude, verse 6, might refer to this incident. Again, this is a matter of interpretation. Like 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, uh, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world, the ungodly, and it goes from there. So it, it might be a connection between these angels and then the time of Noah, like there. But then again, it might not be. It might just be saying about the, an angel rebellion, and it's a totally different thing. Jude 6 talks about the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So it seems to be kind of repeating what Second uh, Peter says. And what's interesting about the book of Jude is that the book of Jude actually quotes from First Enoch. So, so those are some of the pros to that. Some of the cons to this view is that humanity suffers for the sins of heavenly beings Although, I mean, they, they st humanity still was corrupt. I mean, we have to give it that. Um, you know, humanity suffers because of their sins. Although, when you think about it, all the animals that were killed suffered for man's sins. But anyway, another thing is that no biblical evidence, there's no biblical evidence that when heavenly beings take on human form, which they, they do somehow, I mean, we got the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing, right? When the Lord comes with the two angels and they look like men. And I mean, when they went into Sodom, they were, I mean, they were mistaken for men because they look like men. So in, somehow heavenly beings can take on a human form. But just because they can do that, that doesn't mean that they can, that they have all the functions of humanity. That might be the implication of what Jesus says in Matthew um, 22, you know, when the, the religious leaders are trying to trick him about marriage and divorce and things like that, and he goes, y'all just don't get it. Humanity is going to be like the angels who, who do not marry and are not, not given in marriage. So there might be implications there that that kind of stuff can't happen. Another con is that it seems very mythical. But now, if this view kind of interests you, um, read the books by Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. Books like Unseen Realm, and he's books about angels, demons, different things like that. I mean, he's a, he's a Hebrew scholar, 
I mean, and he's, he's not some crackpot. I mean, he, he's, he's an evangelical scholar, but he has some very interesting views about uh, Genesis 6, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 82, and things like that. So, I mean, he, he most definitely holds to this, this view here. Now, a second possibility is that the sons of God refer to rulers or aristocrats. Aristocats. <laughs> I've been watching too much Disney. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a cat. Anyway, aristocrats or cats. I mean, you might be an aristocrat. I don't know. Anyway, they were higher up kind of folk. And a pro to that, that version is that Jewish kings were referred to as son of God. David was referred to as son of God. I mean, it, it really might refer to warlord types who, who coerced women into harems and ruled with cruel tyranny. Um, some cons to this view is um, not really sure what the sin is. Uh, I mean, polygamy was not ideal, but it was not unheard of even after the flood. And honestly, it fails to square with the context. And then the third possible view of, that most scholars talk about here is that the sons of God referred to the godly line of Seth who joined in forbidden unions with the ungodly line of Cain. Uh, the pros to that view is that it deals with godliness. There's a lot of, of talk here about godliness or the lack thereof. Um, you know, there's other corresponding scripture verses that, warn against uh, the union of believers and unbelievers. Um, this is the view that was held by most many of the church fathers and the reformers. Um, it corresponds with the delineation between the two lineages. I mean, right in chapter 4, you have the lineage of Cain. In chapter 5, you have the lineage of Seth. Um, and it gives reason for the moral corruption because the godly line of Seth was tainted by the ungodly line of Cain. Hence why even the godly line of Seth was destroyed other than Noah. The cons of this view is that um, it's, not, it's not necessarily a natural use of the phrase sons of God. Um, Jewish literature doesn't seem to reflect this idea. And honestly, it was almost unheard of until the time of Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name. So, which of the three views is it? I have no idea. I'll be honest, for the longest time, I, I, I was all about godly line of Seth versus the ungodly line of Cain. Yeah, that other stuff is all mythical and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, the more you read and the more you study, the more you're like, oh, well, hmm, well, maybe that does make sense, you know? So, I fall... I lean more toward the godly line of Seth. I am open to the whole heavenly being thing, but I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment until I do more studying. Actually, I'm going to reserve judgment until I get to heaven and, and I ask God, what in the world does this mean here? You know, what, what, is, what is all this? You know, there's a, the other issue is, okay, then what is this Nephilim? Now, some of the, the translations will say giants, which is the Septuagint of that. But the, the 
The weird thing is the way that it's phrased in verse 4 about there was Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them and these were the mighty men. The, the way that it's phrased, so that, that, that whole heavenly being thing, you know, view, okay, so these heavenly beings, they mated with these women and these Nephilim, these half God, half man creatures were born. The, the problem is that the way that the verse is written, the Nephilim actually weren't the offspring from the daughters of men mating with the or sons of God and daughters of men and the whole thing. The mighty men seem to be the who are there. And so the, the Nephilim, I, I don't think, were these weird half-breeds or anything like that. It, it's just a general word. Because the word is used again in Numbers 13. When, okay, so the spies, you know, they go into the land of promise and they're doing their spy thing and they, they come back and, and, you know, they're all like, man, there's all these giants. And they start listing all these names. There's these Anakim and there's these Nephilim and then there's these Rephirim and uh, all these other Eames that, that are in this land. Talking about really big people, really big giants. Well, the Nephilim would have been killed off in the flood had there been these half-breeds. So how are there Nephilim in Numbers 13? So the, Nephil, the word Nephilim doesn't refer to some sort of half-breed thing. It has to do with um, just being big people. There were big people before the flood. There were big people after the flood. Things like, things like that. So we're running out of time. Uh, you know, there, there's some question also about that 120 years thing that's listed there because it's like, okay, does 120 years refer to the lifespan of man or does it re refer to that's how long until the flood happens? Um, because we, we, you notice after the flood, I mean, the, you, we were talking about all those years, right? That 900 and something years that all these people were living. All of a sudden, shoo, boy, that, that dropped real quick after the flood. So it might be talking about that. I mean, there were people that lived a lot longer than 120 years. Um, Abraham lived 175 or whatever, but it could be that. I probably lean more toward that when, you know, God made this declaration, it was 120 years until the flood happened. So, you know, Noah had a few years to build the, the ark. It's not like, okay, Noah, here, here's the plan. You've got to build this ark. You've got a year. I mean, nothing like that. Um, but either way, you know what? That's interesting. That's, that, that's like my theological nerd stuff coming out. Like, I, I, I'm interested in, in all that, even, even though it's like, well, I really don't know what to believe. But the point is, whatever that all means, whatever happened, leads then to verses 5 through 8. Because whatever happened there, the Lord saw the wickedness uh, was great on the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. Now, though, those are what's called anthropomorphisms. You are reflecting certain human attributes upon God. God is using those words to describe What's going on? Now, obviously, the way that God regrets and the way that God grieves is different than the way that 
man regrets and the way that man grieves. But it's saying that God was affected in some way by what was happening to mankind. And he didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. And so he said, I'm going to blot man out whom I've created. I am going to blot it out. The wickedness was so bad, God said, I am wiping them all out, except one man and his family. They're all gone. I mean, there's a whole lot of wickedness going on right now in this world. But it was probably worse in the days of Noah, and this is the reason I say this. In our day and age, yeah, there's a lot of darkness, and there's a lot of evil, and there's a lot of wickedness, but we have the church, and we have the body of believers who are shining the light of Christ in the darkness. All around the world, there are believers who are shining the love of God and, and being salt and light, just like Jesus said, all around the world, penetrating that darkness. In the days of Noah, there was nothing. No one except Noah. One out of however many people there were, I mean, obviously there weren't as many people then as there are now, there was no light at all except Noah found favor. Noah found grace just because God chose him. And, and so if that should encourage us to anything is, yes, you know what, there is a whole lot of darkness, but you know what, together we, sh we can shine a whole lot of light in that darkness, and we, can, we have a chance to make a difference in the world of wickedness, in evil, in darkness. We have a chance, something that Noah, in Noah's day, they didn't. They didn't have any of that. And so we who are in Christ and we who have the Holy Spirit within us and we who shine the light of Christ in this world, we can bring hope into a world filled with wickedness and darkness, perversion, and all sorts of sickness, you know, spiritual sickness and, and things like that. We have an opportunity that they did not. They didn't have that. No, they had Noah. You know, the New Testament does talk about Noah uh, the spirit using Noah to preach to the spirits of darkness, to preach to, to the wicked people, in the sense that he reflected God, but he was one man. We have the church all around the world. And so let's do our part in shining in this darkness. Let's do our part to give hope to a world that still, all this wickedness, I mean, it's still around. The flood didn't get rid of the wickedness. God destroyed all these people and all these things in, in, in this flood, and yet wickedness still abounds because sin. So even though Noah was a righteous man and Noah found favor with God, guess what? He still had sin. He still had the sin nature who was passed down to his sons and their wives and then generations on. And so let's shine the light of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.